We are in... Oh, I put 1 Kings in there. We're 2 Kings. Sorry about that, guys. 2 Kings chapter 4. Just covering a couple of verses here this evening. Looking at... Uh, let's look at verse 42 as we start. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the, of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. Now, we know this miracle is very similar to one that Jesus did. Of course, Jesus did it on a much grander scale. This is actually for 100 men, whereas Jesus, his first uh, feeding of multitude was for 5,000 men, then plus their wives and plus their children. So it was a much larger multitude that Jesus did the multiplication for than this one. But this is the first time we saw food multiplied in this particular way. Of course, God fed the uh, multitude of Israelites out on the wilderness he didn't necessarily multiply food he just rained it down from heaven and he did a whole lot more than five thousand men and wives and their in their kids wow he <laughs> and every day that was um that was something else but here we have this this going on and as you as we see such a similar miracle between elisha and jesus i thought we'd spend a little bit of time on this that elisha is a type of jesus or the ministry of elisha is a type of the ministry of jesus now, you'll see the first similarity is that Elisha follows Elijah. Elijah comes first, and then Elisha comes next. With Jesus' ministry, when he comes for, as the Messiah, Elijah does come first, and Jesus says, who was, who was the one who came? John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. He was not Elijah, but he came in the spirit of Elijah. And then, of course, in the book of Revelation, we have one of the two witnesses will be Elijah, and Elijah will come before uh, he comes uh, for his uh, second advent. So Elijah is, is uh, very much involved be setting up the ministry of Jesus. Here he sets up the ministry of Elisha. So Elisha follows Elijah. Um, Elisha's miracles were mostly healing. Many of the miracles that Elisha did were involving healing, which is a lot of the miracles that Jesus did. Elijah, not so much miracles of healing. Did some. But most of his, his miracles were in a much different scale. Uh, sometimes people died. <laughs> but, but, uh, Elisha, most of his miracles were involved in the area of healing. Elisha was always among the people, which, of course, is where Jesus was. And here's the, the real fun one. Elisha dies sick. Elisha dies sick, and Jesus died with all of our sin and sickness upon him. There's really no explanation for why Elisha died sick. People think that maybe he missed God or did something in the end. That, but if he's a type of the ministry of Jesus, on the end of Jesus' ministry, he took on our sickness and he took on our sin. Now, Elisha does not take on the sin aspect, <laughs> but he does take on the sickness aspect, it seems, and he deals with the, the healing part. So anyway, those are some of the similarities. Of course, a type is not, is not the thing that it's a, being a type of. It's just a, a forerunner to, to all that just as we saw uh, types and shadows of all different types of, of, of things in the, in the Bible. Even the Antichrist has a type that came before him who was not quite as bad as the Antichrist. Didn't quite do all the things that the Antichrist would do, but he did a number of them. So here we have a man who came from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves. Now we have to remember the context of 1 Kings chapter 4 is that it is set in a famine. There was a famine going on. That means there's not a whole lot of food. 
If there's not a whole lot of food, bringing the first fruits is a real hard offering to bring. Because during a famine, there are not many fruits to come. So if you take the first fruits and give it to God, (laughs) there's, there's less guarantee in the natural than anything else is coming after that. But this man came from Baal. We don't know who he, who he is. Don't even have his name. You just have this man. He came from Baal, Shalisa, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. So this guy comes. Instead of bringing these things to the priest, which is normally what you do, they brought them to the prophets because, as we said before, in the northern kingdom, there are no priests, not priests of the Lord. They're priests of Baal, priests of the, uh, of the idols that they had, but not priests of the Lord. So when they brought the first fruits, they brought it to the prophets who were speaking for God to the people uh, there. But this area of uh, Baal Shalisa, we broke it down for you here. The, the word Baal means owner, master, or husband. It's used uh, for the, the false god, of course, in, in his worship, Lord of different things. And uh, usually it's Baal something something. So there's many different types of Baal. You can't just say they worship Baal. There was Baal something. And we've uh, identified a number of the Baals that they have come across so far. But this one, we'll see two places in the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, Return, O backsiding children, says the Lord, for I am married or I am master to you. And I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. That word there in the New King James is translated married or in the King James is translated master is the word Baal. In Jeremiah 31:32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant <coughs> which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. That word there for husband is the word Baal. We have two times where this word is used regarding the Lord and the, the, the ministry that he was doing towards, towards Israel. So this word is not always a bad word. So when it's put in front here, it does not necessarily mean the idol, idol worshipers, though it could. But here we have the word shalisha, which means third and represents the concept of multiplication. That doesn't come from me. I'll read the, where I got it from. Shalisha, I'm sorry, shalisha means third and can stand for the idea of multi- multiplicity because in Hebrew, the number three was the smallest number which set forth the idea of multiplicity. So the name Baal Shalisha could mean the Lord of multiplicity or perhaps the Lord who multiplies. So what would be interesting is if the man comes from the area that would mean the Lord who multiplies brings the first fruits and it is multiplied before them to feed the, the hundred. Now, this uh, famine that they're in, they're in because they were walking in disobedience. We know ever since they split off, they have not followed up to God, but they brought in the Baals and the Asherahs and, and all the different things that they, uh, idolatrous worships they bring in. And God told them what would be the five cycles in Deuteronomy, the five cycles of disobedience. Famine is one of those cycles. The idea is that they would hit the first one and repent. If not, then the second one is stronger. Then the third one is stronger. The fourth one is even stronger. The fifth one is nasty. You don't, you don't want to get to the first. Very few nations, I don't think any nations really have survived the fifth level of, of a fifth cycle, except for Israel. Israel survived it twice. But no other nation has survived the fifth cycle. 
you can go back to Deuteronomy. He goes over all the cycles there. Didn't really bring all those over here for you. Uh, the Talmud identifies this particular area as the earliest place each year for fruits to ripen. So this place where it comes from is the first place where the fruits would ripen in the nation. So these are the first fruits of the nation, really. Not just the first fruits that they have, but these are the first fruits of the nation that would come. And they came and they brought them. And these, as we said, are the first fruits. The loaves are more like rolls. They're not really big loaves. It's more like a little roll, a little dinner roll. That's really what the, the word is, is talking about. So when it says they have 20 rolls, we're not looking at 20 loaves. Because 20 loaves, you might be thinking, we could probably do 100 people <laughs> on 20 loaves of bread, right? You could probably do something with that, get that uh, going on. But uh, no, we're looking at 20 rolls. So you're taking a dinner roll, cutting it up into <laughs> five pieces, <laughs> and you can, uh, everybody can have a, a fifth of that. And that's about where you're, you're going with that. So just understand what, what is meant here. When it says uh, loaves, it's more like a roll. It's the same things they would put out uh, in there for, um, for the first fruits or for some of the sacrifices they had. So the bread, is, as he said, is brought to the prophets. No, normally it's brought to the priest. And so he says, let's read over that verse of Scripture again. The man came from Baal, Shalisha, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. Now, if you look for a representation of any of these things, the, the barley bread, the loaves, Jesus is called the bread of heaven. The grain is like a seed, and the seed would be like the word. So if you're going to look at any kind of typology in there, that would probably be more into that, that area. Verse 43, but his servant said, now who's his servant? As far as we know, his servant is still Gehazi. He shows up in the next chapter, and the next chapter he gets axed. He's done after the next chapter. He's, uh, he, we, we haven't seen a whole lot of good stuff out of Gehazi, but it's, it's just going to hit the, be too much after the next one. So here's what the servant says. What? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat. Now, this is what he said the first time. Elisha says the first time, give it to the people that they may eat. And the servant responds. He's, only talk, he's not talking to all 100 men. He's talking to the, his servant, who goes around and does the things that he's supposed to do, the same one who took his staff and ran ahead and put it on top of the boy. What? Shall I set this before 100 men? Now, he's concerned about his own reputation here. I'm going to take this out to 100 guys and say, here you go. (laughs) Have at it. Feast away. (laughs) Now, again, we're in a famine. So these guys, are, 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 uh, they were just in the, in the previous one. We were looking at finding anything we could to make up a stew. And someone even found some gourds that weren't supposed to be used for food and threw them in. As we said, when you get hungry, you'll eat anything. You may not like it, but you get hungry enough, you'll eat just about anything. Things will, will seem hungrier for you. And they, uh, they did that with the stew. But shall we set this before 100 men? I put this in your outline here because this is, um, this is unbelief, isn't it? He's, he's disbelieving. Can you imagine if Jesus came up to the folks in Cana and he said, fill the pots with water. And he says, go take it to the, uh, to the master of ceremonies, or the, the guy who's uh, going to judge it all. What? <laughs> Shall I take water to the master of ceremonies? Can you imagine what would happen then? <laughs> that, would, uh, that probably would not have gone so well. 
What if, a, if, if the man who's uh, lame at the pool and Jesus says, take up your bed, rise up, or, and you know, rise up, take up your bed and go home. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what? <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen then? <laughs> or, the, or the man that he spit and made clay and put it on his eyes and said, go wash. And What? <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen if these people said what this servant said? What? Shall I set this before 100 men? This is Elisha. This is a guy who followed after Elijah. This is a guy who has a very strong anointing upon him. And great things have been done. And he, all he says, this is another thing that was in your outline in here, but this is another thing. You never, if all the stories we've read so far, we don't hear Elisha say, thus says the Lord. All he says is, do this. That's all he says. He just says, well, do this. Well, let's put some um, flour in the stew. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> Shall I eat this? <laughs> he doesn't usually say that, nor does Jesus. Jesus just says stuff. And Elisha is, is, is very much doing that same thing. And so all he says is, Give to the people that they may eat. That's all he says to them. He says to the servant, give to the people that they may eat. Now, he's going to give it a little bit more of an explanation. Give it to the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord. They shall eat and have some left over. So what we see from Elisha, he may say these things, but he's not saying it of his own accord. What he is saying, the Lord has spoken to him, which is the same thing we see that Jesus does, because he says, what I say is what my father told me to say. What I do is what I saw my father do. That's what he does. That's what he does. So Elisha doesn't always qualify everything by, thus says the Lord. <laughs> he just says, give it to the people that they may eat. And when he's faced with unbelief, now he gives the full explanation, but not to the, to the hundred men that are there. He gives it to the servant. But can you imagine Elisha's res- response to this? If you're questioned by this servant who has shown no anointing in his life at all, all he has shown is an inability to get things done. Gehazi, we're talking about. And he's got to answer to him? Now, Elisha may think back to when Elijah was there. When Elijah was there, if Elijah said something, how many of y'all think that Elisha just did it? He just, whatever you want, he just, he's just going to do it. And he's not quite getting that from Gehazi here. What? Shall I set this before 100 men? Gehazi is concerned with his reputation. Gehazi is concerned with how this is going to look for him. We just got finished taking care of stew, making it, uh, making it work. Gehazi is there for that. Give it to the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord. They shall eat and have some left over. Now think about this. Is what the Lord said to Elisha, they shall eat and have some left over. If, if God said this to you, they shall eat and have some left over, would that make a whole lot of sense? But that's the part that's in quotes. So he must have said, take that, or just pointing to the, to the, give it to the people that they may eat, they shall eat and have some left over. He just gave them the first part. But if you put it all together, it makes sense. So that's what the Lord spoke to Elisha. And Elijah just, Elisha just spoke 
the part that was necessary. But sometimes we don't always want to follow the part that's necessary. We want to have it all explained out. We want to have it all worked out. We want to know the end from the beginning and so forth. So I put this in your outline for you. Unbelief is limiting. Unbelief will limit you. Now think about this. If the 100 people, these are, these are prophets, so you know, they're not novices, they're not babes in Christ or anything like that. They're, uh, they've been doing some things, ministering before the Lord. They, they know some things. But if you're just around 100 people, or any number of people, and you, as a servant of the man or woman of God, say something like, what? What does that do to the people that are around? Well, if you're going to doubt him, and you're a servant of him, they're going to begin to wonder, well, what should we do? So what happens to the people that are around that here? We have to be concerned about that. What happens with Elisha? Now, Elisha is just concerned with ministering. The servant is supposed to take care of all the other things so that all he has to concern himself with is ministering. Just like the disciples were to help Jesus. Jesus wasn't out there to, you know, set the people out in order. He wasn't out there to control the crowds. Or That's what the disciples were doing. The disciples were coming in, controlling the crowds, telling them where to sit, what to do, all that sort of stuff. And Jesus just comes in and he ministers. And he gets them to, to do that. First time Jesus was teaching, he was down by the, the sea, didn't have any disciples, doesn't have anybody to, to seat them around, and they all start pressing him into the water. So he has to take care of all the details. He sees the boats, and he says, hey, can I use your boat? Can you put me on the boat and uh, take me out there? I can still t- speak to them, and they can't keep pressing me into the water. <laughs> and so they do that. But from this point on, Peter, James, John, and the rest of the, the group, they're going to be taking care of these details for him so that he doesn't have to be contending with this so that Jesus can go off and pray and get himself ready and come on into the meeting. That's the idea. That's what's supposed to be going on. So what happens to Elisha here? His own servant is saying, what? So instead of just being there and ministering into the, in the meeting, he now has to contend with the servant. That can't be fun. That can't be fun. I missed, uh, I changed this number of different times, and obviously I didn't quite get the wording right. But if a person responds from unbelief, or if a response from unbelief does come, put it in there that way. If a response from unbelief does come, it limits the source through which unbelief came. If, if I'm sitting there at a meeting, let's just picture Jesus. Jesus is there. He is, he is saying some of the things that God says. And the people out there hear it. How many times did they hear it and respond with unbelief? When they responded with unbelief, what did it do to the source of the anointing? It limited it. Jesus was unable to do any great miracles because of their unbelief. Unbelief has a great limiting power. And even though Jesus had great ministry power, the unbelief would come in and it would limit what he could do as a minister. What he could do under that anointing. So unbelief has a great limiting power in our life, in what I can receive, and because of the unbelief I bring in, it can put a damper on that whole thing. Remember when the, the story with the layman? 
was let down to the roof. The Spirit of God was present to heal them all. But only one got healed because there was a great limiting power that was put on. They disbelieved what Jesus said. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And they said, what? (laughs) Who has power on earth to forgive sins but God? Isn't that what they're saying? And that put a limiting power on what could be done. Of course, we know Capernaum, the story with Capernaum and the things that were done then. The, uh, the, the way that Jesus would be able to teach became limited because of the unbelief of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so Jesus began to teach them in parables and then eventually it says Jesus only taught them in parables. That's a limiting power. That, that's, that's something that comes on in and, and, and causes a limiting that goes on because not as, not as many people got the message because of what had to happen. It also can potentially limit the blessings the ones in faith can bring. It limits those blessings that Jesus being in faith, it limits what he can do. It limits what they can receive. It limits what the group can receive. And it limits what someone like Jesus or even Elisha can do when Jesus came to a place and there was unbelief, he put them out because they are a limiter. And so he eliminated those, those particular things. We have to make sure we, we stay tuned to that because if we have people that are in unbelief and we're trying to get something accomplished, we cannot when they are there. I'll put it this, to you this way. If Jesus couldn't, we can't. <laughs> right? So if, if there are forces that are present that are limiting us because of their disbelief, because of their unbelief, because of their skepticism, we need to eliminate those factors the same way Jesus did and the same, the same force that he did, understanding the limiting that they can do. I put this in your outline as well. It can also potentially limit the blessings the ones in faith can bring as well as necessitate dealing with the unbelief instead of just ministering under the anointing. Elisha here has to deal with, we're going to say Gehazi, even though he's not named, just more than likely him, with the servant's unbelief. Instead of just going right out and ministering to these people, we can't do that. We have to deal with the unbelief of this servant first. So he has to, to speak to him and tell him all that God said. Remember, he'll run into this again too when the city is surrounded by an army and he just says to the, to the one, greater are those that are with us and, uh, and they said, he had, he had a hard time taking that statement. This is a new servant. This is the Gehazi's replacement. But he's having a hard time receiving that. He says, I, I, I can't quite get that because look at this huge army that's around us. Man, we're, we're in trouble. And so Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see. And his eyes were open. And he saw the host of angels that were all around the, the city. Oh, wow. <laughs> see, Elisha has to deal with that unbelief in the servant before he can continue to go on and to, and to minister. Jesus, how many times did he have to deal with the unbelief in his disciples before he could go on and minister to the crowd? You'll, you'll see that's why he's dealing with them. What's wrong with you guys? Aren't you guys here yet? Aren't you, you guys should be, you should be better than this, basically is what he's saying to them. So it'll necessitate dealing with the unbelief instead of just ministering under the anointing. Whenever we are in a meeting, when we call into question 
what is going on under the anointing. We force the person under the anointing to deal with the unbelief instead of just flowing with the anointing. And we can, we can cut the power off. Or that. We, do, we don't need to do that. You know, if, we were, if, if folks today were around during Smith Wigglesworth time, he would, he would test some of us. I know he would. I heard the stories. I think he'd test me. I heard some of the things that he did. Have you heard, have you heard the stories of, of Smith and some of the shocking things? I mean, he, he had a lady come up with a tumor in her belly. It was so large. It, 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 was, it, was actually, it, it almost looked like she was pregnant from what I understand and how it was told to me. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he punched her in the stomach. Now, how many of you had a problem if a minister punched a woman in the stomach? That, 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 could, be a, that could be a hindrance in the meeting. And you sometimes have to deal with, with that. But, you know, the tumor went down. The woman was healed. But still, I bet you there were some people in the crowd saying, I'm not, I don't like that technique, you know. <laughs> I like the end result. I don't like that technique. I don't know if it was Smith or somebody, but I heard somebody uh, pretty much drop kicked a, a baby or something like that in the meeting. And, I mean, it's all I got to say is you better hear from God when you do it. <laughs> Man. But see, sometimes what happens with, with people that are ministering like that is that God lets them see the end at the beginning. He lets them see the end at the beginning. Brother Hagen told us a story one time of, of some things, and he was getting ready for a meeting, and he was, he was telling us a much longer story, and it was to illustrate a whole other point. But anyway, he, got, he was getting ready for the meeting. He was laying down, resting, and all of a sudden he saw himself in the meeting, and he saw six people in wheelchairs on the left side of the stage, and he saw himself go out and lay hands on all six of them. And he said five of them got up and walked out. And so when he got to the meeting that night, he saw six wheelchairs over on the left side of the stage. So he knows what to do. <laughs> and he's going to lay hands on all six, even though he knew that only five would walk out. What happened to the six? I don't, he never got into that part of the story. He didn't, he didn't tell us that part. I don't, I don't have anything on that part of it. And again, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't the, the purpose of his story. But you'll, you'll hear that from other folks that sometimes before a meeting goes on, they've seen what is going to happen. And so once, it starts to, once they get in the meeting, they say, oh, that's how it was and what I saw. And they begin to act out what they saw. And our unbelief in that can turn it off. Because now that person, instead of just flowing in what they saw, has to deal with the unbelief first. So that's why it's real important that you get to know the Spirit of God. Because if you get to know the Spirit of God, you say, all right, I don't understand this, but this is the Spirit of God. We can go with it. And uh, that'll help you out. The uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't have this going on for them. And they, they could not recognize that this is the Spirit of God. They couldn't tell that in the meeting, this is the Spirit of God upon the place to heal people. Because they were so hung up on the method. Well, why are you healing on a Sunday? Well, why are you doing it this way? Well, why do you say that? Well, what power are you doing this by? <laughs> and such things as, as this nature. And they just had a hard time with those things. Um, so we've got to be careful that we are not a limiter. We do not come into a meeting and begin to put limits on the thing. Now, that's not the saying that you just take anything that happens. Because there are some things that can go on in a meeting that you can say, you know what, 
This is not God. But get to know the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God does not always do things exactly the way we think. The Bible is full of, of that. When, when people got raised from the dead, it was different most every time. Now, Elisha is almost identical to the way that Elijah raised someone up, but Jesus raised people up from the dead, and it was different from the way they did it. And the way he dealt with blind people was different. Sometimes, from time to time, it was different. The way he dealt with lepers was different. Some had to go wash. Some just had to present themselves. You don't always know what it is, but just recognize the, the things of God there. So unbelief is limiting. The more unbelief we have in our life, the more limited we are. That's why he said the fasting and prayer, you need that to get that unbelief out. Because there's a, a little bit of unbelief that's still in us can greatly l- limit what it is that we're doing. Let's read that again. But his servant said, What? Shall I set this before 100 men? So obviously, whatever is there is a very small quantity compared to the 100 men. And it's not close. Because he's going to be embarrassed of doing it. He said, Give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So again, Elisha has to deal with this, which he shouldn't have to do. That pulls on him. That wears him down that much more. So he he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Now, no one else knew that word except for Elisha. And Elisha's content, well, he would have just kept that to himself. But he had to tell it to the servant because the servant was in unbelief. He had to minister to him to get him out. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over. Now, the amount that is brought is of no importance at all. How much stuff is brought in makes no difference at all. What matters is the amount brought in is not comparable to the need that is there. But God is a God of multiplication, and God will take this, multiply it, and make it into something else. Now, if you are going to be the God of multiplication, you have to have something to multiply, because anything by zero is zero. If he is the God of a hundredfold, and you bring him zero, you have zero. You won't have anything at all. You've got, there's got to be something. Jesus, he said, what do we have when he's feeding the 5,000? When he's feeding the 4,000? What do we have? Go out and see. Go out and find out. Gather it up. Father, what you got? Because we're going to multiply it, but we've got to have something to multiply. All you need is something. You can always increase the multiplying factor, but you've got to have something. Because if all you have is zero, then God, no matter how great his multiplier can be, you, you get nothing out of it. Got to have something. When the woman who came back, and Jesus is back there at the, the church, the way they did offerings, they had a box in the back, and everybody came back, and they all went one by one by there, and Jesus parked himself out by the offering box and watched them give. He took note of how much each one gave. Isn't that something? And as each one gave, he, he, he made note of it. And when the woman came and came, put in the two mites, he said, see that? Those two mites she put in, he knew exactly what she put in. <laughs> Those two mites she put in, there's more than all the rest of them. But see, she put in something. He didn't go up to her and say, oh, that's okay. That's okay. Don't put that in. You need it more. No. She gave something to be multiplied. Amen. The woman that Elijah came to, 
had to give something in order for it to be multiplied. If she didn't give anything, there was nothing to be multiplied. The woman with the oil that Elisha ministered to, she had to have something to be multiplied. So Elisha asked her, what do you have in the house? We have nothing except for a little jar of oil. That's it. He says, that's all right. All we need is something. We got something we can multiply. And all that God did was he took what they had and multiplied it. Because if you take that little bit of oil compared to all those containers of oil that she ended up with, there is a multiplying factor that will get you from one to the other. Get some algebra in there. If A equals <laughs> the amount that was in the jar, A times C equals D, all right? If, if D is the end result of how much oil there is, then it's real easy for us to figure out what the dividing factor is, what the multiplier was, just by using algebra. Because we, know, we find out, well, A is an ounce. And the end result is <laughs> so many gallons. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, we get so many ounces into so many gallons. We can do that, we can do that math. Mm-hmm. And we can figure it out. Maybe a big number. But we can still do that math. There can still be some. But if there was zero oil in the jar, there's no, no uh, ability to multiply. So he's a God of multiplication. And this story certainly shows it. So also with the, the loaves and the fishes and the 5,000 and the 4,000. As we've often gone back and, and looked at, Jesus referred back to these two miracles as if these two miracles were supposed to teach the disciples a lesson. Did you not learn the miracle of the loaves? He said, how many did you have left over? And how many, when we fed the 5,000, and how many did you have left over when we fed the 4,000? And he says, do you still not understand? <laughs> God is a God of multiplication. He will take what we have, multiply it to make it surpass the need that we have and have some left over. And what's neat about those two stories is that it says that the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, as well as this one here, is that they ate until they were full. This one says they ate and they had some left over. Now you are in a famine. You are hungry. There's food. It's being multiplied. Everybody who goes up, get some. You're going to keep going up until I'm full. Because eventually you will be full. So it had to be really be multiplied. You have 100 hungry men. Not just 100 men. These are 100 hungry men. And after we get done feeding them all, there's going to be some left over. According to the word of the Lord. Well, is the word of the Lord that he will take care of our, our needs. If God calls us to do something, generally we don't have the supply to do what he calls us to do. Most every time in the Bible, people did not have the supply to do what he says to do. But once he said, do this, and they went out and did it, the supply came. And that's what we have to do ourselves. He said, give it to the people, for the Lord has said. He has confidence in what the Lord has said he will do. Well, it looks like I put that in there twice. Why did I do that? Give it to the people, for the Lord has said. This is the reason that you do it. This is the reason that you give it to the people, because this is what God said. Why are you doing that? Because this is what God said. 
people want us to, to respond and to do things because of what man has said. Or they want us to do things because the need has said. Or they want us to do things because people have done this in the past. Or this what seems to be the next best thing to do. But what has God said? The Lord has said. When we're feeding the 5,000, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, Hey, uh, you know, it's getting late. Uh, we need to send these people away so they can go get something to eat because uh, they're not, there's nothing here. we got nothing around here. It's empty. And uh, they've been listening a long time. And Jesus says to them, You feed them. <laughs> He's just messing with them. Aren't they just, just playing with them. You feed them. Mm. Why? Well, the Lord said we are to feed them. See, but what, would, what would Jesus have done if they said, really, we can feed them? All right, guys, let's go find some stuff. Let's pray over it, and God will use it to feed them. <laughs> I, I think they would have shocked Jesus. <laughs> would have actually shocked them, but they could have done it. Could have done it. So too could have we. We've been in many situations where we were looking at the lack of supply, and we could have stepped on in there and, and said, God said... Well, our inability to see hinders us from taking the step. Just like the, the servant. He couldn't see. How can this feed that? That's not, I'm not going to set this before that. Because this is nothing compared to that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to have a hand in this. Mm-mm. So he had to come and he had to minister to him. And get into a, to that place to do it. Our inability to see hinders us from taking a step. He wasn't going to take that step. The servant saw a shortage. I saw what we have. This is what somebody brought. Somebody came all the way over, bring their first fruits offering, and brought it to us. And it's insufficient to minister to the need that's here. I'm not going to have a hand in this. He saw a shortage. But Elisha saw sufficiency. And not just sufficiency, he saw overage. Because he, he, he said exactly what the Lord said. There will be some left over. We're going to feed them all. And we're going to have some stuff left over. So here's the question we ask ourselves. What do we see? When we see a situation that's, that's, that we're up against. Do we see shortage? Or do we see sufficiency? Do we see overage? What is it that we see? Now you've got to make sure that God directed you to go in that, that place. Make sure that the way that you're going is where God said to go. If God said to go there, though, then we have to get rid of the shortage because just know if God's going to send you into a place, there's going to be faith involved. We are going to have to take some steps of faith. And we are going to see some times of shortage in our life. God never said there wouldn't be a shortage. He said that he would supply. When Israel went through the wilderness, they saw plenty of times of shortage. They saw shortage of water. They saw shortage of food. They saw shortage of water. They saw shortage of protection. They saw all kinds of shortages. But they didn't see the supply. And God came through with the supply. Time and time again. But they were supposed to learn something from those times when they saw shortage so that when they got to the promised land and they saw the task that was in front of them, and they viewed themselves that they would not see shortage, that they would see 
supply, overage. And when they got there, all they saw was we were as grasshoppers in their sight. Shortage. They have great walled cities, chariots, horses. They saw shortage. And so when they came there, they were not ready to press in. And God was mad with them. God was angry. He says, that's it. I'm done. You guys are not going in. I am not taking you all in. Take your kids in. And they said, remember their, their words? We're afraid for our kids. God says, I'm going to take your kids in. You guys are all going to die. And they're going to go in. And when they went in, we never saw anything in the Word of God that pointed out that they saw shortage. Never saw themselves as inadequate. They saw themselves going in that we can take this thing. We can take Jericho. We can take all these cities. When five kings gang up on us, we can take them too. They didn't look at it as a shortage. And that's the place we had to get to. Get to that place where we don't see shortage all the time. And we don't keep coming running back to God. God, God, what's going on here? I can't take this and go against that. Remember in the story with David? Little boy with a stick going up against a giant with a sword and a spear. Can we take this and go against that? Jonathan, one man against the Philistines. Can we take this and go against all of them, and one man and his armor bearer delivered, killed how many Philistines? And set up a, a whole victory. Israel went from a place of defeat to a place of victory because one man stood up and said, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to see shortage. We can take these guys. I don't care how many of them there are. We can take these guys. Are we looking at our situations that we can take them? Are we doing that? Do we know that we serve the Lord of multiplicity? He is the Lord of the multiplier. He can take whatever it is that we have. Well, God, I have this. And God says, great, I can multiply that. Let's go. And he can do it. Is that the God that we serve? Father, help us to learn even more how much you are the God of the multiplier. That you can increase the multiplying factor to whatever it needs to be. All we do, all we need to do is to have the faith to bring the little we got. Whatever it is that we have, Father, we can present it and say, here we go. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to say, what? I'm going to bring it here and it's yours. Father, we give you the praise and the glory for it, that you continue to grow us in our faith if we see you as the God who multiplies. Not a God who adds and certainly not a God who subtracts. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.